Blog Talk Radio. Bringing you excellent entertainment from the king of DC media. Here's the Inside Acting Radio Show. Everybody, happy new year, happy new year. It is I, the KDOC, that's the king of DC media, William Powell, your host from the coast, sage of the stage, a man you can trust. Yes, indeed, yes, indeed. This episode of the Inside Acting Radio Show is brought to you by my fantastic column by the name of DC Actors Examiner. There's many great articles out there. And you can find that by Googling DC Actors Examiner. You can also follow me at Facebook. The handle there is William.T.Pal. And also my Twitter handle is Inside on the Bar Acting. So tonight my guest is playwright and actress Ebony Custis, who has written and is directing an inspirational play called Boxes. And it's going to premiere uh, January 8th at Bowie Performing Arts Center. That's 15,200 uh, 15, Annapolis Road, Bowie, Maryland. That's 15200. And it's going to be running uh, 8 o'clock from Thursday through Saturday. And Sunday on the 11th, we have a matinee, and that's going to be at 3 p.m. So, hey, for tickets, you should go out to boxestheplay.com. That's boxes theplay.com now the play asked the question what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail what would you do if you knew you could not fail it is a fantastic play I myself actually have multiple roles in this play it's thought provoking and it's powerful and let me tell you a little bit about the cast we got a fantastic cast yes indeed yes indeed folks we got Lauren Snyder Gail Carney, Lynette Franklin, Cynthia Rollins, Greg, Greg Watkins, Michael McKay, and our wonderful stage manager, Portia Begley. Yes, indeed. All right. All right. So I see Ebony has joined us, so let me uh, bring her right on in. Good evening. Hi, William. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. All right, very good, very good. I know we had a very uh, fruitful uh, rehearsal tonight. So 
So the first question I want to ask you is, what inspired you to write boxes? Oh, wow. Uh, so many things. Um, the first one is that I hadn't written in a while. I started writing plays under the excellent tutelage of Dr. Colleen Sinet Jennings, who's currently at American University. And um, she just had me reading and writing every day, uh, starting in 1998. And, you know, just work and family started taking up a lot of time, so I found myself in 2007, 2008, I couldn't remember the last thing I'd written, not a poem, not a play, not a short story, anything. And uh, one of my best friends just challenged me to write something. And so I sat down and started to write. And I think because of where I was in my life at that time, um, keeping my own potential as a writer locked inside of a box that's kind of where the whole premise of boxes came from. When people allow their circumstances in life and fears to uh, take over their mind, take over their heart, and then, of course, take over all of their time until they have uh, totally become someone different from what they really were supposed to be. So coming from that place, that's what I was thinking about when I wrote boxes uh, to encourage myself to get out of the box and become the person I was really supposed to be and to encourage audiences to do the same thing. Great, great. So now I'm going to ask you, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Oh, man, Um, I would do exactly what I'm doing now, but just more. Um, I, I know that I was created to be a writer, created to be a storyteller, and not just any storyteller, but one that motivates people to become their best selves. So uh, that's what I do now. I write plays and novels to help people do that. And I would share those stories domestically and internationally. So Boxes has been performed in Trinidad and um, hope to bring this play and others uh, to local audiences and foreign audiences as I continue to grow um, as an artist. Fantastic. So now in the same crack, I know there's the theme of finding your bliss, finding mm, your bliss. Yes. So what inspired, yeah, what inspired you to write that scene? Okay, so Cracked is one of the very fun scenes in the play, as you know, because you're in it, as, as you are in many scenes in boxes. And it it's a parody of corporate America and working life. Um, it's all of the people that we all know because we work with them who maybe they used to have a dream, but they've just worked so long in the same office or for the same agency that they've forgotten it. And now they're basically, they have settled. They have surrendered their original dream in exchange for a dream that someone told them they should want. And maybe that dream is getting a promotion or becoming a supervisor or making a certain amount of money or getting a certain title. Um, And so they're just blindly going after something that if they were honest with themselves, they don't really want. So in the scene Cracked, there are those um, employees, those drones 
who are still focused on a fictitious goal. But there are a few brave souls in the scene who decide to, as you mentioned, follow their bliss. And uh, for me, they are they are the real heroes of the scene. Mm, yeah, I agree with that. So uh, in the scene sealed, you talk about finding a mate. Now, what some common mistakes do you you find people make uh, when they're when they're trying to find a mate? Oh my gosh, um, so many. I think, and and this is a a through line of the play. It's very dangerous to allow um, institutions or other individuals, even if they're related to you, like say your parents or in sealed your mother, to allow someone outside of yourself to define what is success or what is good. Um, And I think that when people start to measure potential soulmates, potential life partners with someone else's yardstick, then they get in trouble. Um, Maybe a woman has been taught to think that their mate should be able to provide a certain material lifestyle for them, that they should come from a certain type of home, um, uh, drive a certain type of car, look a certain way, have been educated at certain schools, and and that's very dangerous. Um, another mistake that I think people make in finding a mate is making the mistake of thinking that they must find a mate just to be able mm. to complete themselves. Yeah. Everyone isn't built, you know, for the stereotypical marriage. Some people just just aren't built that way. Yeah, that's right. I would agree with that. So now I see it seems like many of your characters have given up on life. And now why do you think people do that? Um, I can't. I couldn't speak for everyone, of course, um, but in the discoveries that I've made for myself and in the people that I know and love and have real, honest conversations with, um, that's Mm -hmm. another theme of boxes is that people just don't listen and they don't have real, genuine, honest conversations. Um, I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but if you think of things like Facebook and the types of things that people post on Facebook – it's always, you know, the the perfect family smiling for the Christmas card or, you know, I'm so proud because my kid just achieved this or I just lost 20 pounds. You know, those are the types of things that people post on Facebook. And while some of it can be true and it's great to celebrate, it really doesn't give you a full picture of what someone might be going through or what someone might really be needing from their friends and loved ones and family. Um so there's just this lack of opportunities for people to be genuine. Um, and I think when you don't have those opportunities to be honest, it can make you go a little batty um, because you're mm. always on. You're always performing. And when you're living like that, it's hard for you to really get to know yourself. So. In answer to your question, um, why do so many characters in the play give up on life? Um, there are those characters who have who have given up on life and who don't change, but then there are some who who do 
change, and that's where the that's where the motivational part of boxes comes in. The audience can see what impacts a person to to have given up and to remain resigned, and then what's different in those people who who gave up, but then find the courage and inspiration to make a change. I think that people give up because life is is hard. It's, it's way harder than than most of us were prepared for. And um, mm. sometimes it's just easier. I think it's one of your characters, actually, Abraham, that says, you know, this isn't good. He admits that his life isn't what he wants it to be, but his life is easier. The choices that he's made make it easier for him because he doesn't have to fight. He doesn't have to challenge himself. He doesn't have to change anything. And I think that um, people give up on life because it's just easier. Maybe they know what their real dream is, but they got to get out there and hustle to make it happen. And, you know, maybe it's just easier to continue going to that dependable job that people expect you to be there and you know you're not going to get fired and if you can just stick it out for 25 years, you'll get a nice retirement package. Even though you mm. know in your heart it's not what you want, it's just easier. Who wants to take a chance and, you know, give up that stability and give up that, that title that people in your family are so proud of you for or, you know, give up the, the ability to pass out a business card or, you know, something like that. It's just <laughs> easier. So people give mm. up um, because they don't want to risk trying. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. So now why did you use the metaphor of a box? I wish I could remember <laughs> where where it came from, and it's probably in a yeah. notebook somewhere. Um, I never throw any of the scraps of paper or napkins that I compose on, um, much to my husband's dismay. Um, so I'm sure I have that written down somewhere. I just don't know if I could put my hands on it. Um, I don't know. I mean, as an artist, I guess you could say divine inspiration. I don't know. But I just mm. know that the metaphor works on so many different levels. You know, getting out of your box, getting out of your comfort zone, being trapped in a box. Um, and then, of course, the set, which is made up of entirely of boxes of different colors and shapes and textures, um, it just works. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so, yeah. That's like a back <laughs> of a metaphor. <laughs> yeah. Wow, yeah. So now uh, talk a little bit about some of the themes uh, that you explore in Open. I mean, that's a great scene. There's just a lot going on there. I think that's really the heart of the play. So talk a little bit about that scene. Sure. Um the main character in the scene open is a poet and that is one of my roots as, as a writer. Um, I did slam poetry for most of my college years and the poems that I thought that were the most moving were ones that told a story. Um, yeah. Not just, you know, talking about, uh, some person or, you know, kind of talking about what a great lyricist they are, but like really pulling the audience in, creating a character, telling a story. Those are the best poems. Um, that's why I like to call myself a storyteller. 
But um, so in the scene open, there's a poet, and he's he's just telling the truth. He is reaching into each of the audience members and asking them the hard questions. You know, what do you have to give to this world? Do you know what an awesome person you are? Do you know how much potential you have? And if you can accept that, what are you going to do with it? I think right. it's a beautiful scene to watch, but it's kind of hard to watch. And I hope that it does make people a little bit uncomfortable because when you get uncomfortable, then you start looking around critically and asking questions and hopefully getting revved up enough to make a change. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that uh that it's the type of play that I think you can't you can't watch it and not really ask yourself those tough questions. And that's it. That's all I've ever wanted to do. You know, it's it's awesome to write something that can make people laugh and cry and really entertain them and and have them remember it forever, you know, those those movies and plays and novels that we just we always remember them. But I in addition to writing stuff like that, I wanted to be able to write stuff that actually impacted people's lives because it made them look at themselves and then make a change. So um, if you get that out of the play, then I know that the audience members will get that from you, and that's what would make the play a success for me. If people who came to see it go out, leave the theater, and start doing something different in their lives. Absolutely, absolutely. That kind of segues into my next question. Sure. Is in in your opinion, what's the purpose of art? Oh wow. Um, I think it's to make people look at everything differently. Hmm. Like you come to everything with preconceived notions, you know? Um, You come to a marriage looking at it like it's supposed to be a man and a woman, and the man makes the money, and the woman does the laundry, and, you know, but that's... But art, whether it's um, a book or a painting or something of of a marriage that doesn't look like that, can make you then think differently. Like mm. mar- maybe marriage is two best friends who decided to support each other equally in making their lives into what they've always wanted them to be, whether it's two men or two women or whatever. And maybe it has nothing to do with how much money either one of them makes. Maybe it has nothing to do with who does the laundry and who takes out the trash and, you know, just outdated gender notions. Um, I think art should make us take a second look, whether it's the Mm -hmm. way that a painter decides, you know, to depict the human body or nature, um, whether it's the way music can make you feel and take you on an emotional roller coaster, um, whether it's the way a novel can make you think differently about what the possibility is for um, a young black girl who grew up in a bad neighborhood, you know, had no possible possibilities, but then, um, you know, turned it around and really gave something back to the world. It's, I mean, art 
should make you question, should make you think, should make you take a second look and um, and really shake up those preconceptions. If it really makes you feel comfortable and reaffirms everything that you've already known, I don't quite know if that could be called art. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a good way to look at it. I think it's I think you kind of touched on at least my humble opinion would be it's like kind of like representing the way at its best at least the romantic way of art of looking at art would be to represent something as it should be and not necessarily how it is. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I want to move on to uh, talking a little bit about your your writing process. How did you write? Oh, um, that's interesting. I actually did a presentation on that at Nerd Night in Cambodia a couple of years <laughs> ago. Um, so I like to see what my subconscious is thinking, and then I try to tie all those things together into a coherent storyline. And I think that's where you get the metaphors from. So um, I do that free association exercise where you write one one word in the middle of the page and then you do the word trees off of that, just like writing as fast as you can, as much as you can, whatever comes to mind, even if it doesn't seem to make sense at the time. Hmm. And I might do like four or five of those spider webs and then I just kind of look at it. And I start to see how, you know what, these things do relate. You know, dishwasher really does relate to a first kiss, you know, in this way and that way. And then you can start to really create characters and situations that are surprising and um, intriguing. So, yeah, I'd start with with those word maps and I see how I can connect them in interesting ways, and then I just do a bunch of just writing, and maybe maybe one uh, you know twenty minute straight writing session will result in a character or a situation or a description of a setting, and then you take all of those um, free free writing exercises and put them together and see okay. Well, it looks like I've got two or three real characters here in this situation, and it just builds and builds and builds. But it always starts from that uh, that rush of you know free association kind of spider web type things. Hmm. Okay. So, um, what other plays have you written? Oh wow! Uh, my first play was The Treehouse. Um, my second play I wrote in college, it was, uh, Strange Reflections, and it was so, it was such a surprise because I was studying business, business administration at Florida A&M University, and, uh, of course, because theater is my first love, I started being in productions and taking electives here and there, and so that got me writing again, so I wrote Strange Reflections, which, um, was basically a look at the different personalities of a young college woman. So she had her militant side, her depressed side, her um, sexually curious side, her 
happy, um, I-can-do-anything side. And these were all individual characters that, when you first start to play, seem to be roommates. Okay. And then in the end, <laughs> you realize that these are actually all uh, different facets of the personality of one woman. Um, and they all kind of coalesce in the end. And they end up kicking one of the personalities out who who is deemed to be self-destructive to where she's trying to get to in her life. And that play actually won uh, an award at the College Language Association that year. So that was cool. Um, and it kind of encouraged me to continue writing. Um, after that, I wrote um, Taylor's Gift. I wrote that while I was studying creative writing at the University of Ghana in Legon. And they did a reading of it at the university with um, an amazing writer, Kofi Awunor. He's a, a poet and a writer, very famous in Ghana. Um, and let's see, after that I wrote um, The Watering Hole, which has never been mm. produced, um, which maybe maybe that'll be put on the agenda for 2015 or 2016. And then um, what I'm most excited about is the is the trilogy that I'm working on, which boxes is the first installment of it. It's a it's a in all three plays in the trilogy are motivational. Uh, boxes was the first one. Voices is the second one. It's already written and it should be going up this May, May 2015. And then the last one will be seen when it is <laughs> when it is complete. <laughs> Wow, so you, you sound like you broke out of your uh, your business box when you were in college. Um, I don't know if I could ever really break out of my business box. I mean, my, my husband is an entrepreneur, <laughs> my mother is an entrepreneur, and with doing boxes, I feel in a way as an entrepreneur. I mean, it's a lot to uh, to put something like this together and to build a team and um, and to get people excited about coming to see it, so... I love theater. Um, I love motivating people and inspiring them. Um, but sometimes I have to take off my artist hat, or, or in addition to my artist hat, put on my businesswoman hat because it's um, mm-hmm. it requires both. Yeah. So on that vein, talk a little bit about your production company. Oh, okay. Um, I call it Rose Prose Productions. And um, we do plays here and abroad um, with the goal of using literacy um, and literature to empower people. So Mm. not only do we create new theater, but we also do classes to encourage uh, young people to tell their stories through a short story, a play, a poem, what have you and then to try to bring those to life um, in front of the audiences of their peers. So mm. that's what Rose Prose does, and we're we're growing. We're slowly growing. Oh, great. That's fantastic. So what playwrights have inspired you? Oh, my goodness. Um, mm. Of course, August Wilson, um, yeah. Pearl Clegg, uh-huh. um, James Baldwin, um, I also like, and I cannot remember her name now. Her play is all over the place. The um, August in East Osage County. They just made a movie out of it, also. But I, I loved it as a play. 
Um, the colored girls. Yeah, and Tazaki Shanghai was was also an inspiration. Um, right. There's just there's, there's just so many plays out there. Tennessee Williams, obviously. Um, oh yeah. I I enjoy memorable characters. And for me, Tennessee Williams did a really great job of that. Um, you oh, can never yeah. forget the mother in the glass menagerie. You can never mm-hmm. forget um, the young wife in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof um, or, mm-hmm. or Big Daddy. I mean, they're, they're just people who, um, who become real to us. Yeah. Yeah, in some way we we all know people like that in some way. Mhm, mhm. Yeah, it's interesting you said August Wilson. That's one of the things that popped. You talk about free association. You talked about a uh, trilogy. That's uh, one of the things that popped to my mind because I do notice in reading your work, uh, just in reading through boxes, just doing the scene study on that. I mean, my goodness, there's just so many links. Throughout the thing, I mean, it's very cyclical. The characters sort of linked together. Is this or is this not the same character? Is it this? Is the guy in one scene a later version of a guy in the earlier scene? A guy talks about he's going to marry a princess. Is that the princess mm-hmm. is later on in another scene and everything? It's very interconnected. I mean, I know there's even books out there about uh, August Wilson and. Like a whole book about like explaining all of his references and his history, and it's like you could. This it's like the Star Wars universe. It's like a Marvel universe. It's like this whole universe behind the play, and I thought that was just very fascinating. Just even doing the scene work in boxes. Yeah, I um, I apologize. I can't remember the name of the artist, but August Wilson used to be inspired by a painting. He would wow. he would find a painting that would inspire him. And then there would always be a point in the play where that picture lived in the play. Um, So I think, like, with Fences, it was a picture of a man bringing a baby home to his wife, who was not the mother of the child, even though he was the father of that child. Um, Mm. When Joe Turner's come and gone, there was was a picture... um, I can't remember the the name of the main character, the male, but um, he would be inspired by these paintings and then write from there. Um, I've tried to do that. I've that doesn't work for me, but I but I admire that about him. Um, for him to be so connected to uh, the visual arts like that, I think is is you know it's amazing. Of course, he's an amazing playwright. So yes, okay. All right, we're coming down to about the last 10 minutes. So I wanted to uh, turn my attention to acting. So um, what plays have you acted in? Oh, my Lord, William. I haven't been on the stage. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't been on the stage in a long time. It's all right. And it's probably for the best. Um, I did, I I was living in Cambodia for two years, and uh, some of my friends got together and did a production of the Vagina Monologues. Um, and I was in that. That was fun. Before that, the last time I'd been on stage was actually in a piece that I wrote. Um, there was a woman who put on a, it was like a woman's collective. So 
there were musicians, there were lots of monologues, there were a few scenes, and I had written a monologue uh, uh, kind of relating my love life to the advice that my grandmother had given me specifically about cooking mm. and how the two, uh, how they mirrored each other and what I learned finally um, about the importance of feeding yourself with food that, with real food, you know, <laughs> like real butter as opposed to margarine and real cheese as opposed to non-fat, some scary creation of cheese. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and that was that was a lot of fun because that was a piece that was very personal to me. Um, and before that, probably some productions in college. I was in a lot of productions when I was at Florida A&M. Okay, okay. But I remember oh, being on stage. I remember being on stage in college and looking out at the audience, and something in my head was just like, I don't want to be on stage anymore. Um, I don't mm. need the spotlights and the applause and all of that. I want to be the one determining what goes on on stage. Mm. Okay. And that's when and I that, started to focus more on writing. Right. And so in that vein, as a director, are you more a proponent in your artistic vision of more of a representational style of acting that is, you know, like reaching for realism, or do you find you want to reach more more so for kind of a, uh, I guess, a presentational sort of theatrical kind of acting that's kind of based more on, uh, like, you know, presentation and, Theater, things that are theater, theaterish versus realism, or is it both? I think it's a very interesting question, especially with boxes. Uh, as okay. you know, the first the first half of boxes takes place in this fictitious world, and everything is kind of a metaphor for something else. So, I think when you are consciously presenting something to the audience that isn't real but it's supposed to symbolize something, I think mm-hmm. it's okay to go for that presentational, theatrical, like we are up here acting for you, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But when you come to a scene like open with the poet, then there's no place for acting mm. because you have to be real so that the audience can know that it's time for them to be real. So I think it really Mm. depends. I think there's a a place and a time for all of the different theories behind acting. You know, if you're, Uh if you're a fan of Stanislavski, I mean, there's, there's a time and a place in my opinion for everything. I would not say that every performance should adhere to one theory of acting. No, I think it really depends on the piece and the objective of the piece, and then you pick the right tools to bring that piece to fruition. Right, right. Okay, very good. Okay, so we're coming up on about the last seven minutes, so uh, talk a little bit about uh, boxes itself. Uh, you know, will there be uh, uh, audience talkbacks, uh, how people can buy tickets, and also I want you to touch on uh, what's next in 2015. Sure. Um, well, first thing, try to encourage everyone to go to the website, which is 
boxestheplay.com. No spaces or dashes, just boxestheplay.com. And um, on that page, you'll learn more about the history of the play, and most importantly, you'll get to see uh, a few highlights of the actors who are in the play. You'll get to know, to learn a little bit more about Gail Carney, Lynette Franklin, Lauren Schneider, Cynthia Rollins, William Powell, of course, whom I'm sure most people are already familiar with, um, Gregory Watkins, who is very well known, especially in the D.C. area, especially for his musical uh, performances, and then Michael McKay, who's a newcomer just from Florida, but already doing very well um, in Maryland, D.C. and Virginia theater. So uh, come to the website, learn about the cast, learn about the play, uh, buy your tickets. I strongly encourage people to buy their tickets online in advance. Um, We have evening shows Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then the 3 p.m. matinee on Sunday. Following every show, with the exception of the Saturday show, we will have talkbacks where several members of the cast will come out and sit on stage and answer all of your questions. They'll tell you about the rehearsal process, tell you about their views on the play, how they prepared for their role, what it felt like to be a part of this production. Um, you can ask them whatever whatever you'd like, and I think those are, are good opportunities to get to know local artists who are really taking their craft seriously. Uh, several members of the play studied at the conservatory in Washington, D.C., so um, they really know what they're doing. They've been around for a long time. Cynthia Rollins has won, I think, every award that the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area has to give to an actress. She's an amazing performer and just an amazing mentor. I've learned a lot from her, um, and I, I hope that I get the chance to work with the people who are in the play again at some time in the future uh, including the stage manager, Portia Bagley. She's, um, I think she's all set to work on the Bowie Little Theater's upcoming production of Pearl Clegg's Flying West. So, Flying you know, West. Uh, yeah, everyone, who's, everyone who's involved in the play is um, takes this very seriously, and it shows. It shows in the way that the play is coming together and the production value, the quality of the scene work, the quality of the acting. It's it's going to be pretty amazing. So, um, yeah, visit the, the website, boxestheplay.com. Get your tickets in advance. Uh, when you come to the show, stay after for, you know, 20, 30 minutes to meet the cast and talk with them. Um, I'm sure you will enjoy it. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, what other productions? I know you have, uh, was it Voices in May? And what else you got coming I have Voices coming May of 2015, and then in December of 2015, my first novel will be released in that sense of song. Wow, wow. What's that about? Sense of song is based on the premise that humanity used to be one with the gods. We were connected with the gods with this song, with this mystical song, and uh, unfortunately, humanity forgot the song. We got uh, distracted by um, money and greed and power and and the living within the sick within the five senses um, and forgot about that sixth sense, which is the sense of song. 
And so we've been, you know, chained to the earth and unable to commune with the gods. And so the book is about uh, several artists who finally come together and rediscover the sense of song by composing uh, a mystical song. So it's a it's a pretty interesting book. I'd call it fantasy um, or science fiction. It uh, goes all around the world and um, gives a really interesting take on what is sound and mm-hmm. how does the vibration of sound affect the human body um, and the human spirit. Interesting. Okay, Ebony, it's been a pleasure. It's been very uh, exciting, very insightful to just get inside the mind of a playwright. I mean, it's, uh, it's just, uh, wow, it's just been really fascinating tonight. I would just really thank you again for coming on the show. Oh, thank you, William, for having me, and thank you so much for being a part of Boxes. You bring a lot to the show, not only on stage, but behind the scenes, all of your experience in in marketing and producing. I've just enjoyed picking your brain. And um, you've just been a resource in a lot of ways, and we really appreciate you being a part of the team. Oh, hey, thank you. Yeah, we're going to break legs and we're going to shake up the world when we open. I'm just, I'm looking <laughs> forward to it. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you so much, William. Have a great one. Okay. Good night. Okay, everybody, let me leave you with this quote from Oscar Wilde. He said, no great artist ever sees the world as it really is. If he did, he would cease to be an artist. Good night.